Deadwood Soundwell. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. Back in the studio. Yeah. Fucking COVID. Thank God for vaccines. <laughs> yeah. It hit me hard. Good thing I had the vaccine or probably would have put me in the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. Enough of our personal shit. Let's go into the important shit. Pop culture entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing I wanted to mention, I did not know this was out when I talked with Carl last week or I would have addressed it last week. But fortunately, we get to talk about it now. So Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness dropped a long trailer in the Super Bowl, like a little two minute one. So we're going to talk about that right now. It really, really looks like Professor X is in this movie, right? I didn't catch that. That is so weird. I talked with Carl right after we recorded because I watched the trailer. And the first thing I picked up on when I was watching the trailer, I'm like, OK, I've seen that. OK, OK. And then I was like, holy fuck, that's Patrick Stewart's voice. And I looked it up afterwards and because Carl was like, what did you see in this that was so amazing? And I was like, Professor X. He's like, what? And I was like, his voice is in it. And then I looked it up and like, yeah, dude, Patrick Stewart's talking over the thing. And they kind of show a room with a bunch of chairs that looks like it might be the Illuminati. So like in the comics, it's Professor X and Doctor Strange and Tony Stark and a couple other people. And basically they run things secretly because it's the best way to handle things in their estimation. I think Namor is one of them. And they're the ones that decide to blast Hulk into space. So that's kind of like the Thor Ragnarok of it, where the Illuminati decides, like, Hulk's getting too dangerous. We got to get rid of him. They blast him off into space to take him to this planet where it's all peaceful. And then Hulk flips out and destroys the navigation system on it. And it crash lands on this other planet. <laughs> and that's where <laughs> that's the planet so, Hulk storyline yeah. comes from, which obviously they grabbed elements from it. But yeah, dude, like Patrick Stewart's like, talking in it we're actually gonna get mutants now god i hope so i'm just tired of people bitching about it to be honest yeah and bringing them into the mcu they might get a chance to actually do mutants right now it's possible that patrick stewart is just playing a guy and he's not playing professor x but he's still Sir Patrick fucking Stewart. Yeah. One way or the other. They're either trolling us or they're putting Professor X in there. What do you think it is? I'm really going for the Professor X. I don't think they accidentally throw Patrick Stewart in this. The only thing that gives me pause was Patrick Stewart decided he was done with X-Men movies. Like he said that when uh, Logan when Logan came out. Like he was like, yeah, I think I'm done. This is a good ending. Him and Hugh Jackman had both said it in the press. But neither of them were counting on Marvel taking over everything and i would be surprised if hugh jackman shows up in one of these but i wouldn't be shocked like if they're like hey do you want to show up for like a multiverse thing and do 30 seconds i wouldn't be shocked let me put it that way yeah and i don't think we're gonna see a lot of patrick stewart i think like no i think that's one of those big reshoots they were talking about yeah i think it's just a small piece but I want to see it. Yeah, me too. The other one was they had this image. There's a thing that looks like it might 
be a variant Iron Man. And I don't know if that's the case or not, but there have been these rumors that Tom Cruise was going to play a variant Tony Stark. Because for people who aren't aware of the history, they were going to make an Iron Man movie in the 90s and it fell apart. But Tom Cruise was going to star as Tony Stark. If that is an image of Iron Man, it's hard to say, like, based off of the photo, but I wouldn't be shocked because I've been hearing the Tom Cruise talk, you know? Yeah. God, imagine what would have happened if Tom Cruise would have taken that. It would be the universal monster universe (laughs) would have happened to the MCU before it even started. Okay, so we got evil Doctor Strange. Like, do you think this is the character from What If? I definitely think it is. At least, like, the live-action approximation, that character. I think this is a good time to revisit the Mephisto report. (laughs) Mephisto Watch. The evil Doctor Strange is within this little tiny thing, and he's watching over this super dangerous Ultron, and he can't get out. And that's his job, right? Like, that's how he's redeemed himself, is he's watching this in this fucking universe that he collapsed and fucked up. So, maybe it's Mephisto? It's always Mephisto. It's always Mephisto, but it's never Mephisto! (laughs) Jesus Christ! Unless it is Mephisto and we don't know yet. God damn it. Maybe Mephisto's America Chavez. I don't know. That'd actually be a pretty shitty thing if they made their first lesbian superhero Mephisto. That's just a bad look. But one that white producers would totally do historically. (laughs) (laughs) Mephisto watch. We should talk about the Power of the Rings trailer. Now, I don't know what to pull out of this except to say I watched it and I was whelmed. I wasn't overwhelmed by it. You know, it wasn't like, wow, but I also wasn't like, this looks like a piece of shit. I was just like, ah, yeah, there it is. Yeah, that's a thing. That's kind of my take on it. It was like, oh, that's a thing. Yeah, that's that's coming. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because there's no characters to be attached to, really. I remember the first Hobbit movie came out and I'm like, it's pretty exciting excited for it but this is more like the second or third part of the hobbit trilogy movie yeah it's a thing they're gonna get my money god i'm not the biggest lord of the rings head so you know i'm not gonna go crazy but you can bet we're gonna talk about it when it premieres yeah Did anything jump out at you in the trailer? No, I know a lot of people were upset because one of the elves was a person of color. So this is the, we're going to mask our racism with something that a racist white author wrote. They're probably not consciously thinking it is, but they're probably like, there is no black elves in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Shut the fuck up, dude. Who fucking cares? Are they mad because it looks like drow? No, they're mad because it's a person of color. Yeah, of course. So this is the Star Wars thing. God damn, dude. I'm staying away from the comments on this shit. (laughs) I'm sure Carl will fucking fill us in and you'll occasionally fill us in anyway. But on the racist tip. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about uh, Chevy Chase. So I don't know what this is. Brandon's leading the show from here on out. That was my last transition. (laughs) This is Brandon's show now. They did an interview on uh, CBS Sunday morning over the weekend. Did an interview with Chevy Chase. And they asked him about his time on Community and brought up the uh, the racist comments he had made towards Donald Glover. He had been just awful. On a couple occasions, got Donald Glover in tears just because, like, he was that awful about it. And... Chevy Chase being Chevy Chase. Let's examine who Chevy Chase is super quick before you get in that comment. He was born rich 
and struck out into show business and then got really big, but always thought he was better than everybody he worked with, probably because of his upbringing. So this is a dude who has never been very close to very many people. He did a roast and it was noted that the only person that he had starred with in anything was Beverly D'Angelo who showed up and they apparently have a good relationship, but literally nobody else. Like everybody fucking hates Chevy Chase who had worked with him. He's known for destroying directors. That's sounds about right and by the way he's destroyed many movies for as much of a legend as people talk about him how many good movies has he done there's like vacation there's christmas vacation there's three amigos which you could also say is like a three-hander right yeah that's not his vehicle i know a lot of people really like fletch but yeah i I really wasn't one of those i think you have to put fletch in there like fletch is big yeah and i did like fletch when i was a kid i only watched it once but i liked it i haven't seen it as an adult Man, I've seen Fletch and Fletch lives. <laughs> Not seen either of them as adults. Yeah. I know I've seen at least Fletch, but I was middle school or younger. Dirty Work's great. He's in Dirty Work for a total of, I'm going to say, three minutes. Yeah, he plays the doctor that... Has a gambling problem. Yeah. So they have to raise money to get a kidney because he's going to get his... Oh, sorry, a heart. Because he's going to get his legs broken if he doesn't get money. So he's basically like, I'll sell this heart to you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now we know what a douche Chevy Chase is and how overblown his legend is. Continue. Axelrod, who was doing the interview, asked Chase, uh, Chevy's been a jerk. Are those unfounded cheap shots? Well, I guess you'd have to ask them. I don't give a crap, he laughed. I am who I am, and I like who I am, and I don't care. And it's part of me that I don't care. And I've thought about that a lot. And you know what I have to tell you? Man, I just don't care. So that was basically where he came from, was like, I don't give a shit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised. Are we really expecting Chevy Chase to turn over a new leaf? I mean, he's old as shit now. The one thing we know about older people is however they are, they become more of what they are, right? They become entrenched. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're an elitist piece of shit, you're going to be an older elitist piece of shit. (laughs) That's just what happens. In the last week, ended up watching Community Season 2. This is such a great show, but Chevy Chase really brings that down. So let's go to a different actor that is a piece of shit. We'll talk about Zachary Horowitz, who uh, goes by the stage name Zachary Avery, who was sentenced to 20 years for a Ponzi scheme. So he was a fake movie producer. So he would try to take a bunch of people's money, trying to like sell B-list movies, like horror movies and set up this Ponzi system. Is it money laundering? Is that what he's doing? So a Ponzi system is where you take somebody's money and then you're supposed to be investing it, but you're just pocketing it and it's a pyramid scheme. So like you get- All these people are feeding, but they don't know. And then like they get these small dividend checks just to keep them like um, satiated, but it just grows and grows. He got $650 million out of 250 people at least. Wow. Just to give kind of a grasp on this, Bernie Madoff only made $65 million. Holy shit. So he made 10 times. 10 times what Bernie Madoff did. And people everywhere know like Bernie Madoff. Yeah. 
And he did 10 times as much. Do we know any of the movies that he put out? Did he put out any of these Bruce Willis movies that we heard about? No, there are. I, I Carl looked and up, I are convinced that like all of these Bruce Willis movies are like basically money laundering schemes. So I looked up his uh, IMDb and none of the movies that like he was producing or, you know, uh, fundraising for ever made a light of day he did act in 15 movies but they're all like straight to dvd horror movies none of which i'd seen the only acting credit that he had on a list of a movie that i had heard of was uh fury the tank movie with uh oh brad shia labeouf yeah that movie and he has an uncredited role in that movie okay (laughs) so that's the one legit thing he did And how legit is it if Shia LaBeouf is a star? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that guy sounds like a piece of shit. I was actually looking into money laundering stuff because I was talking about that with Carl a little while ago. And it's too hard to, like, come up with a comprehensive list because the shit is so fluid and goes all over the place. But I did read about Limelight Films, which I am not sure if the current Limelight Films is connected to the old Limelight films, but the current one produced Palm Springs, for example. Okay. But back in 2004, at least one executive went down because apparently he was buying millions in ecstasy tabs and then using these B-movies to launder it. So (laughs) I don't know if it's connected to the new one. So it could be that it dissolved and then somebody took the name because it's a good name for a a company, right? Or it could be that it was just this one guy and then they got him out and and the board of directors continued on. Like, I really don't know, but said they'd only produced five films. So I kind of doubt that it's the same one. Regardless, dude, that's a lot of X. Yeah. That's like enough to rearrange the whole game with your rugged sound. You know what I mean? X. <laughs> I mean, there's enough that Oops. <laughs> yeah. going to get it to you. Yeah. Oops. going to give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a movie last night on Netflix. I was flipping through trying to find a movie to watch for the, the three of us. And it's called Big Bug. And it's kind of a dark black humor sci-fi movie. So I popped it on and it got real weird. First off, it's a French film, but it was dubbed in English. Been watching TV and movies with the close captioning on just because the hearing's starting to go a little bit. Just makes it a lot easier to just watch stuff. But the closed captioning wasn't matching what they were speaking. Interesting. Because <laughs> usually it's spot on, like word for word. Different words would be substituted. And obviously it was a translation issue. Anyway, takes place in 2045, 50, somewhere in there. Humans are just living with uh, AI. They have like androids that do pretty much everything, cook food, do dishes, control the heat and everything around them. The family is just living a normal day and then... Things just start like twitching out. So it's sort of like a maximum overdrive, like machines taking over sort of thing. It was the main character's ex-husband who showed up to show off his new trophy wife or fiance that they're going on some fancy vacation. The androids lock him in the house because these other like military androids are basically taking over the world. Definitely the robots are in that uncanny valley, like where they have that level of creepy, like dead stare face to them. 
course, they're all French actors, but they have the this one gal that plays the the house that does all the cooking, the cleaning, the basically the maid of the the house. And she keeps wanting to become human. And so, like, she, like, takes and puts on, like, the a wig to, like, look like the, the wife, the main character, and just, like, trying to seduce the husband. The evil military robot shows up. The wife's got all these books and stuff that are basically contraband at this point. So he's, like, destroying all the books. And it just gets fucking weirder and weirder and it's it wouldn't be who you would pick it's like robocop but instead of uh peter weller it's an old french guy with fucked up john elway teeth so horses teeth some horse teeth yeah he's definitely got some horse teeth and he's bald gray hair like and these big bug eyes and it's just really fucking creepy and it kind of sounds like the robot maid is doing a single white female on mm. the mother isn't no, that what's happening? Like, not really. But. That's kind of what you described, though. Like, she's trying to look like the mother and have sex with the husband. Yeah. Does she wind up trying to kill the husband? No. Okay, that's the only way it's not like single white female. <laughs> this is futuristic robotic single white female is what it is. <laughs> so basically, like, the whole thing is gets taken down the evil androids fuck up and put their own selves on the kill list and so they end up killing themselves but Good it was an robot. it was an interesting two-hour watch on netflix if, if you're interested in a weird french movie can i intervene with an oscar netflix movie really quick all right so i watched tick tick boom this was my fourth try to watch tick tick boom <laughs> <laughs> This was one I knew would be up for Oscars, and so I was like, I need to watch it, and I hate musicals. And so I started to watch it, and then something came up, and I like put it aside. And I went to watch it the second time, and then I decided, I'm not enjoying this, and so I found something else to do. And then I went to watch it the third time, and then somebody showed up unexpectedly, and I very happily stopped it. So I put it in this morning. It was, like, very quiet in my house. It was just me. And so I started from the beginning again, and I'm like, eh, not really digging the beginning. And it's, like, kind of a weird musical because I keep cutting back to the stage where it seems like they did a performance of it with Andrew Garfield. The audience sounds legit. Like, it doesn't sound like a canned audience. But then it's intercut with all these things that he's talking about within it. And I know this is based off a stage play, so I have no idea how that works on stage for the most part. But I fucking got into it. It took a while, but then... You start to realize this is about a character who is under pressure and has a deadline to create and he's having a really hard time creating. And then he's got a girlfriend who's like trying to vie for his attention and he's kind of shunning her off to the side. And then he's got a bunch of friends who are dying of AIDS and he's trying to also deal with that without dealing with that because he's just trying to make his deadline and then all kinds of things go wrong. The power goes out, all sorts of shit. When he finally has a moment where he can write, he's just like, ah, I'm going to go swimming. And then while he's swimming, he gets the idea. He's kind of looking down at some tiles and it kind of, it shows in his mind's eye, it becomes like a music staff and he starts seeing the notes and he gets the inspiration while he's swimming. But I have to say when I boil down the entire thing, I'm like, oh, 
not only do I feel like this is good, like, I can totally fucking relate to this. I can relate to it in the same way that I related to Soul, where it was like, don't spend too much of your time obsessing over the creative part of your life because you're missing out on your life. That is the same message of this movie, except for this movie was written in the 80s. The play was, anyway, and then it came out. This was a surprise to me because I know nothing about musicals. I thought this was a Lin-Manuel Lin- Miranda. Is that how you say it? So I know he directed this, and so I had assumed that he wrote the whole musical. No, it's the guy who did Rent. Oh, okay. And I didn't know that, and it was like, oh, and then it's super fucking depressing to me. Like, he's obsessing over, like, I have to be this thing by 30, which I've never had that. I've certainly had that. I'm getting too old to where I'm going to break through kind of thing. But like, I've never had the, I have 30 like looming on the horizon or 40 or whatever. Like, I don't think in those terms, but I know a lot of people who do. And it's a real bummer when you realize this dude makes this play and then it goes nowhere, which I thought was a really good thing. Cause it's like, everybody likes it, but they're like, it's just not going to work. Like it's too expensive. Then he like writes a second play, which winds up being tick, tick, boom. And that becomes his big movie later but then he has rent is his third one that actually goes on to broadway fucking died of an aneurysm the day before it came out damn i didn't know that i knew he died while he was making rent but i didn't know it was like the night before it premiered and what a fucking bummer dude like rent is one of the biggest plays of my lifetime if not the biggest I wouldn't say the biggest, but it's definitely well-known enough that I know about it is one of those things. What's bigger, would you think? I mean, lately it's Hamilton, but no, because Cats is like, all right, let me rephrase this. Everybody knows Cats to a degree, but most people don't like Cats. (laughs) (laughs) Cats is a kitschy thing that like people go into New York or whatever, and they're like, let's go see Cats. But it's kind of understood by most people like Cats is not good. Yeah, I guess, but I don't know. I haven't seen it. I've never seen Rent either. It's sort of like going to a theater to watch Plan 9 from Outer Space. You know what I mean? People are going and they'll have a good time, but they're also well aware this is not good art that I'm seeing. (laughs) Like, I think Rent is actually hailed as like a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I'd also put up Phantom of the Opera or... That you can make a case for. Um, What was the other one I just thought of? Les Miserables. Yeah. I guess... It's somewhere between all of those. I don't know. I feel like Rent is going to get more important than those other ones if it's not there already, though. Because it still speaks to a thing that's a problem. And Phantom of the Opera is very rooted in the 80s. (laughs) It just is. Yeah. And I don't know anything about Les Miserables, so I'm not even going to comment on that one. But anyway, all of this to say, I was very, very pleasantly surprised watching this movie. I really loved it, and I thought Andrew Garfield did a very good job in it. And it's sort of crazy when I realize like Sondheim just died and Bradley Whitford is playing Stephen Sondheim in this movie. Like he shows up twice in the movie playing Sondheim and then like West Side Story came out I think right after he died right? Like the remake of it. It's just fucking weird that like he died right before he was about to have another moment. That's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so what else you got? Been watching uh, Tacoma FD. We have just binged a lot of that show. It was originally came out on uh, True TV, which nobody has. Right. Unless you have cable. Uh, My father-in-law watches it endlessly. (laughs) It's all he fucking watches is True TV. He watches that Impractical Jokers. 
to no I end. I know, I do too. I do too. It was fine for like an episode, and then when I realized this is all he watches, and it's always in like four hour blocks, I was just like, oh goddamn! But it's better than Fox News. That's the only channel he watches. So <laughs> yeah, it's a pr- it's a very limited budget on the show, but the jokes are fucking great. It is Super Troopers, but in a fire station. Right. So it's and it's got Steve Lemmy who plays Mac and Super Troopers, and then Kevin Heffernan who plays Farva, and then there's a couple of the other guys pop in and out throughout the seasons. But I do feel like you're kind of limiting these guys by putting them Super Troopers because they made so many movies and Super Troopers. So let's just say Super Troopers too. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because they have definitely worked around trying not to be super sexist or really making comedy that isn't exploitative. There's five characters basically in the main cast. So there's Kevin Hefferman, Steve Lemmy, the the people everybody knows. And then there's guy who plays a paramedic, guy who plays as like his off time, he's a stripper. And then um, the girl who plays his daughter becomes a firefighter. So they have to take all of the like the toxic masculinity and like work its way out. You know, there's a lot of good humor in that. (laughs) And so it's fun. True TV, I don't really understand. I don't either. I um, Have you noticed that? Like, the channels just don't give a shit what they're supposed to be anymore. We stopped watching cable, so I guess this is what happens. I used to love fucking History Channel. It used to be about history. Yeah. Now it's like ice road truckers and ancient aliens and shit like that. It's not fucking history anymore. A&E at mm-hmm. some point became, like, Playboy bunnies and Janet Jackson documentaries and shit like that. E! just became reality shows. Like, it was E! Entertainment because they were, like... We are talking about show business. That's the entire show. And now it's just the Kardashians and shit like that, you know? Like, and True TV was not that I'm a fan of this, but was supposed to be like this, like, quote unquote, true stuff, right? Like reality shows, basically. We're going to rerun Cops and we're going to have things akin to that on on the program. And now it's like they got comedies. They had it at home with Amy Sedaris, which I love, but it was basically Amy Sedaris had a cooking show. It was legitimately a cooking show, but also it was an excuse to, like, put in weird sketches all over the thing. (laughs) And, yeah, yeah, I just don't understand what's happening in the cable anymore. It's really weird because, like, I get to see, like, cable TV, like, four times a year, and it's, like, a Saturday night when I'm in a hotel room somewhere. Yeah, I did some of that. Yeah. And it's like that's why I re- that's why I went to House of Gucci was because like I would rather pay to watch something than watch this bullshit. Like and it's like God, I I sometimes I like I would forget like why I gave up cable so long ago, and then I like am sitting in a hotel room Saturday night, and the kids love Impractical Jokers. Oh like, God. God, it's awful. <laughs> And I'm like, this is the same. And it's literally the same episode I end up watching every time I'm in a hotel room. Like, why? Why would Why would I pay for this? Yeah, dude, it's awful. We wound up watching this thing on Janet Jackson. 
that was on A&E, and I think they put it on another network as well. I believe it was a four-part thing, and I think we saw two and a half parts of it. But it was like the two and a half parts you would want to watch for the most part. We missed the stuff with Rhythm Nation, but we caught like everything else. And it was funny because I don't really think about Janet Jackson very much, if I'm being honest. Like, she doesn't really occur to me, but somehow I know all these things about her. And I was sitting there... turning to Amanda and I was like she didn't know about the Super Bowl man really she didn't know about the Super Bowl she didn't know about the titty (laughs) I thought everybody knew that there's a titty in the Super Bowl at least our age you know she had no idea and I was like oh no 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 she showed her titty and she was like, well, really? Justin Timberlake showed her titty. It was so funny. It's the one time it's going to be okay for me to have like something pop up on my search history because they're talking about it. And she's like, it was an accident. It was like a wardrobe malfunction. Like they're not talking to Justin Timberlake about it <laughs> for the fact that he like pulls it off or anything. The boyfriend is just like, Jesus Christ, dude, she didn't do it on purpose. Like they're going on and on with all of this. And I'm just listening to it. And I wait for a commercial because I know it drives Amanda crazy when I talk over the TV. And I turned to her and I go, she showed off her titty on purpose. And like Justin Timberlake ripped it open for her, but it was like a tearaway deal. Yeah. And they showed it on purpose. And she doesn't say it. And I'm like, you want to see the titty? And she's like, yeah, kind of. And I'm like, I I will show you beyond a doubt that it's on purpose because she decorated her titty. And there's no way you decorate (laughs) your titty if you're not going to show your titty. I go and like bring up the image. And so like there's that picture of Justin Timberlake doing his like kind of look like, you know, his thing like, oh, did I do that? kind of thing when he like ripped the tearaway thing and you look and it's like I got a high resolution image and I like zoomed in to show her because I thought that this was important for this and by the way right with my instincts because this is exactly what you wanted to see was the titty an accident or not and you could tell in the image you look and like it's very clearly like there is like part of the outfit that like it's perfect dude it's not torn it's perfect it was made to be tearaway it's probably like velcro or something and then like you look at the titty and she fucking like put that fucking intricate design around her titty so that it covers everything but the edge of her nipple. And it's like, you don't fucking decorate your titty to not have your titty come out. You don't do that. And like Amanda's like, no, you're right. She clearly did that on purpose. And then she's like talking about Michael Jackson for a little bit. And uh, I get that she's his sister. So it's a bit forgivable that she doesn't believe he did anything. But also I'm sitting there watching it and I'm thinking about the Jackson family and all the shit that they've done. Whenever something comes out about Michael Jackson, they like counter program it to like get people to not pay attention to that stuff since he's died, you know? And uh, I'm like, man, the Jacksons have been running this game for a long time. They've been doing my this entire shit. life in a sense, more power to them in that they've learned to like shape their narratives. But I'm looking at Janet and I'm like, this is the same shit that Michael did in a way where like he was trying to be like, everybody looks at me like I'm weird. So I'm going to grab the horns of this and I'm going to fucking like make everybody see. Nope. I'm a normal person but in the course of that what comes out of his mouth is like who wouldn't sleep with children it's totally natural right so like he fucks it up and I'm watching Janet and I'm like no part of this is believable like so many of the things that she's saying that's clearly just putting like a a better face on it it's like no now all of that being said I don't want people to misunderstand me she showed a titty on TV life fucking went on dude (laughs) Not only did life go on, 
I don't think anybody was damaged by it. The conservatives that were all screaming about it wound up to go on to elect a president who's probably a rapist and got recorded saying, grab the pussy. So, like, they can shut the fuck up because they have no leg to stand on this thing. Like, it was all bullshit that they made it such a big deal. But the idea that she didn't do this on purpose and Justin Timberlake didn't aid in this to do this on purpose because he's just as guilty as she is. Oh, yeah. He ripped the tearaway off. That was not an accident, dude. He reached over and does his little face as he's doing he's like oh did i do that oh what an accident like <laughs> shut the fuck up Justin Timberlake. it's literally part of the song yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i also understand they felt like they had to do it because you have to like stoke the fires and i think it burns so much hotter than they expected it to yeah whatever anyway that's cable tv for you (laughs) that was the high point other than watching house of gucci of my tv watching (laughs) was just that the last thing i got youtube suggested i listened to some video and it was uh one of joe walsh's songs i can't remember i think it's rocky mountain way rocky mountain way okay okay so it's the other one (laughs) it was uh from his episode of uh live from daryl's house okay so live from daryl house is a web tv show daryl hall from hall and oats yeah basically invites people in and then he's got his house band and they just sit and jam and so they play some people's music they like the guests they get on like oats he wasn't on till the second season, like the sixty. So they brought Oats the in. 60. Was they that because like, the Oats. show was starting to falter? So instead of bringing in a baby, they were like, let's bring in Oats. Bring in Everybody Oats. wants to see Hall and Oats. Yeah. Um, it's a hall without an oat. Yeah. But I mean, they had <laughs> You're like. You're just like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> not important. <laughs> that was insane what I just said. I want you to acknowledge how insane it was. <laughs> I will not do that, sir. <laughs> But the playlist that I stumbled across had 120 some different music videos. I got through about 80 of them today just while I was working. But they got so many people I was just really surprised. Like Booker T, who's a great keyboardist. They had him do the song Chopped Onions, which I didn't know the name of it until today. But it's the song that was in uh, Dragon the Bruce Lee's story where they're fighting in the alley. The show ran until 2020 and then it cut COVID kind of put a wrench in things, but they're starting to get acts back together and they're going to start doing more new shows. But they got like Patrick Stump from Fallout Boy, CeeLo Green was on. They did Fuck You, full explicit lyrics. Nice. Except they didn't use the N-word. I had seen this show a few times over the years because it's been going since like 2008. I think it was on ABC. I don't know who owns Viacom. CBS. CBS. I mean, they don't own it. Viacom owns them. Well, yeah. And they are all part of something bigger. Paramount. No. Well, Paramount's part of it. Yeah. But I don't think Paramount's the parent company either. Viacom's, I think, actually. You're probably right. The parent company. Yeah. So I had caught it and they would show it like it was one of those CBS afternoon shows on a Saturday afternoon. So I'd catch it every now and again. And it was always interesting to watch. But like today, I just went down this deep, deep rabbit hole. And it was interesting like. So you did a. Deep dive. There we go. <laughs> Anybody likes listening to people jamming out that enjoys music, most of the stuff I really enjoyed out of it, there was like the adult contemporary, there's a lot of that, which 
course, Hollow Notes probably fall in that category. But then they had like a lot of Motown stuff. And then they had newer rock. And I mean, there was just a whole spectrum of stuff. All right. So worth checking out. Yeah. We got Carl here. How's it going, Carl? Doing well. So we were going to talk about Peacemaker. We keep putting it off for some reason because we've been enjoying the shit out of it. It, It's one that even though it was being released week to week, honestly, it doesn't lend itself super well to recapping week by week. Yeah. Just want to talk, wait till it was all finished and then talk about it all at once. I feel like the Disney stuff, we often have to recap it week by week just because it's something where like all eyeballs are on it, right? And uh, sometimes there's just episodes where it's like, certainly the case with Peacemaker. It's like, it was a show that only built viewership with every successive episode. More people were tuning in. I think a lot of people had the attitude that I kind of had which is just like, uh, I don't know, I don't need it, but I guess I'll watch it. I quickly just loved it. I was having faith that James Gunn would put together a good show. Yeah. But I'd be lying if I said I was excited to dive into it. And then it turned out I love it quite a bit. Like, it was so much fun. Every single week, it was just fun. Yeah. He kind of achieved the impossible by taking the least likable character from the Suicide Squad and making you really genuinely like him by the end of the show. In eight episodes, he turned pretty much the entire country around (laughs) on this character that he is the one that established the tone of the character to begin with because Peacemaker as a comic comic book character is not very well known. I've never heard of that character. I go deep on Marvel. I do not go deep on DC. Here's what I learned. So he was part of a buyout. DC Comics purchased another comics company called Charlton Comics. Blue Beetle was part of that stable. And uh, Blue Beetle's probably the most well-known character from Charlton Comics because he's pretty well he showed known up in, in he showed point. up in the Justice League a couple of times and uh, they did attempt to fold all of these Charlton characters into the DC and but, Blue Beetle even had this. an animated series and uh, immediately after he's a movie too. DC bought this comics company Alan Moore decided to take all of the characters that were in this stable of characters and to make a story around those characters and DC was like no we want to fold these characters into DC and in your story, you kill most of them off. And so Alan Moore rewrote his same story with original characters that replaced all of the Charlton Comics characters. And that's Watchmen. Oh, interesting. So it goes back that far, huh? Yes. The comedian is a riff on Peacemaker. Interesting. Yeah. And I can see it now that you say yep. it. Thinking and about I believe, how Peacemaker started. And I think that Owlman is actually a riff on Blue Beetle because they both are like technology based. But Man, he he feels very Batman to me. He though. does. He rewrote he absolutely him to does. definitely mirror Batman, well, I feel like. It's it's kind of a marriage. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's his own character. He well, had, and bats he looks, and owls are both nighttime yeah, flying Yeah, he looks very similar. That, like, that, the thing he rides around in is similar to the Batwing. I mean, Watchmen came out. I guess it came out a little bit before the, the Michael Keaton movie, didn't it? I believe so. Yeah, I think it was it like 86 for the, for the Watchmen. Yeah. So it would have been like three years. So, shit, maybe they like... Like, took I was the thinking, actually, from I was thinking, Watchmen. <laughs> for some reason, I was thinking Watchmen was 88, but I don't know. Actually, Maybe no. it is 88. I don't actually know, so. You might be right. 
right, I'm just actually. throwing a number out. I, I know it's them. before Batman. I'm sure of that. It, it was definitely an 80s thing. Also, another bit of news, Jennifer Holland, who plays Harcourt on the show. She's a longtime, she's James Gunn's longtime girlfriend. Oh, I did not know and that. I knew she was in a lot of James Gunn's stuff, but it's like things you would not recognize her in because she's always in a lot of makeup. This morning, they announced their engagement. Oh, well, congratulations, nice. James They're, Gunn. And, they seem like, she uh, seems great. What's her name? Harcourt? Jennifer Holland. <laughs> I'm like weirdly jealous of him because I had a little bit of a crush on her. And my entire crush on Jennifer Holland stems from the opening credit sequence when she does this, like one of her choreographed dance moves is to like do like a kind of a power pose. I find myself taken aback by how strong she looks. Like her arms like look powerful as she's doing like this power pose kind of thing. And I'm just like, man. She could probably bench press me. I doubt she could bench press me, though. (laughs) I'm pretty big. (laughs) Anyways, it was a fantastic first season. It's already been announced. We're getting a season two, and that's exciting. I really appreciate that the show has things going into the second season. Things will have changed. There are new events unfolding, but it didn't feel like we left on a cliffhanger. It's like the early seasons of The Sopranos when they would do their finales. Like you would close off a big storyline in the penultimate episode in The Sopranos. Like, I feel like they started this model or at least popularized it. You, like, close off a big storyline and then you have the other storyline that closes off in the final episode, but then you put strings for the next season. And they're not strings that you necessarily need answered, but if you're going to continue the series forward, they're there to build off of, right? And then I feel like from, like, season four on, they just knew they were going to get another season all the time, so the Strings are way more open-ended and more like, I can't wait for the next season kind of stuff. Yeah. But I thought like it was a lot more tight the way they did it the first three seasons. And I would say that that's what Peacemaker does. They do the best version of that. Yeah. The pacing of the show was like, (laughs) they had just the right number of episodes. Eight was perfect. The pacing from episode to episode was good. I think the two most talked about shows this spring were probably this Peacemaker and... Either Book of Boba Fett or that Sex of the City reboot. So you mean this winter? <laughs> this oh, I guess I'm. I just think we that, are in the dead sure. of winter right now. <laughs> I, I don't know. For some reason, in my mind, even though I've lived in Montana my whole life, spring starts in January. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, like the last couple of months, yeah. so far in 2021. I would say Book of Boba Fett is the most talked about one. It's just... It's but a, that's just because fanboys can't it's, it's a Star Wars thing. debating yeah. with each other. It's, it's a Star shit. Wars thing, like, so it's going to get the say most eyeballs. Peacemaker was probably the most talked about that was just like sheer number of people going, this show is amazing. Yes. Book of Boba Fett got a very different response. Book of Boba Fett has a constant conversation going around it, but it's not just a conversation about book of book there's no star wars property that people talk about without having a larger conversation about star wars in general yes yeah and this even though this is a part of the dceu there weren't as many conversations around the dceu and i think that's because that conversation has been hijacked by Zack snyder dude bros amongst the worst people on the planet they do the opposite of elevating the conversation. They drag the conversation from what could be interesting conversations about DC and this and that to just like the same tired, repeated bullshit about Zack Snyder. And like, I feel like at this point, Zack Snyder 
probably hates his own fans because they are projecting shit onto him that I don't think is real. I you know honestly, I mean, I honestly don't know where he's at on it, and we certainly I hit think this his before, best bet is to just keep his mouth. Shut. Let's cover that ground because the the Zack Snyder dude bros came out in force after the last episode because of the way it ended. So we'll just put spoilers up. If you haven't gotten around to watching the end of Peacemaker yet, you've been warned. We're gonna talk so about it for, for an indeterminate too, amount of time. This spoiler, by the way, is not a spoiler of anything plot related. It's literally a spoiler of an Easter egg. Yeah. Like what happens at the end of episode eight has zero bearing on the series as a whole. No, it's, it's just to just set up a joke. A fun moment. And uh, so we see a couple members of the Justice League. We really see Aquaman and Flash, but then we see silhouettes of Superman and Wonder Woman, right? Yep. Because they were saying like, why don't you call in the Justice League kind of thing? And then they take care of everything in the Justice League shows up after it's done and uh peacemaker th- talks a bunch of shit yeah he says something about aquaman fucking Go fuck fish. another fish and it was fun watching jason momoa and that and i just don't like ezra miller but then is yeah. it because he hit the punch that girl yeah just yeah. is that the only reason you not like his acting if i'm being honest i'm not sure what i've seen him in other than playing flash i'm sure i've seen him in other things his take on flash feels like lex light to me so like it know, feels like i'm gonna put on a slightly ticky funny performance and like that's gonna code for comic book and so it'll work and i'm like no it doesn't work i'm, I'm not a fan of his portrayal of flash separate, beyond what he fine. did i before i heard about any of that i did not like him in justice league either in Incarnation, so. so he, uh, the two other things that I'm familiar with that he's in, he is in that Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Okay. And the character he plays has like no personality. So he doesn't have any personality in the movie, which is a little bit on him, but mostly not because the movie's just bad to begin with. I did see that first movie. Um, he's the one that's like possessed by the thing or whatever. I don't gotcha. know. It makes no, I don't understand it, but who gives a fuck? The other thing I'll say is probably the best job he's ever done in a movie, I guess. And in the Tilda Swinton movie, we need to talk about Kevin. He's Kevin. He's the son. And we need to talk about Kevin is a movie about a mother who has a sociopath for a son and trying to raise him. And then he does a school shooting, I think, and gets arrested. And most of the time he's playing like a sociopath who doesn't show any emotion. But there's this moment towards the end of the film where he's been convicted and he's going to go to prison and he's just a scared kid again. And it's powerful. Like he does a really good job of playing this character. He's got acting chops. He probably also has minor anger issues. <laughs> and when you're a celebrity, a minor issue is a major issue because you're in front of the world yeah. and the things that you do are emulated by stupid people. So you need to be better than a regular person. If you're a celebrity, I'm sorry, you need to be better than a regular person. Let's be real. If in my you're opinion. In, if you're in any line of work and you hit the press for something shitty that you did, the days that your job might be numbered. Yeah. You know, it's not limited to celebrities. Of course it's I just don't. the nature of being a celebrity. You're in the press I don't more. actually know all the specific details of this uh, supposed assault, which I do believe took place, but I think we are missing context. I don't know if he, like, just attacked some girl. I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know the specific details. Uh, I'm not saying that it didn't happen or that he's not a bad person, but I just don't know enough. And sometimes people do things and then they just don't get canceled. Like uh, that one guy uh, 
from Queens of the Stone Age, Joshua Hom. He was. What a, did he do? So he was on stage at a concert, and there was a lady that was taking pictures of the show. For she'd been hired by the venue to take pictures of the show, and she got a little bit too close to him at one point, trying not to be in his way, but like trying to take pictures from ang- different angles and whatnot. And he saw her, and he kicked at her while she, while he was in the middle of his performance and he kicked her camera and the camera then hit her in the face and she fell off the stage dude not okay not okay literally other than like some articles that were written about it when it happened at the time nothing just yeah. nothing since and like it's not like I'm out here calling for Joshua Hom's blood I mean I listen to Queens of the Stone Age all the time and them crooked vultures and this and that but it's like well that's weird that just like nothing came of it I think we're desensitized because when there's guys like Travis Scott inciting a fucking riot at a show and 10 people get trampled to death uh, and he's like still doing concerts. Well, let's, let's (laughs) put it into context. A dude like Ezra Miller is going to be in a movie that most likely will make a billion dollars. Right. I mean like this flashpoint movie he's doing where they, have multiple Batmans. Dude, people are going to go to that just because Michael Keaton's Batman. That's what I'm saying. That's it's, why I'm it's going. going. It's going to be like <laughs> well, a billion. I might just watch it on streaming. I'm calling it right now. It's going to be a billion dollar franchise or, or at least like close to it. Anything he does is going to be watched very, very closely. Whereas the guy from Queens of the Stone Age, I mean, they were a band that peaked as far as pop culture was concerned in like what? 2001 or something like that like a long time ago so it's it's not saying that it's excusable but it's kind of understandable there's not a lot of dialogue around it because well this also happened like several years ago this was all before the pandemic right this happened but i'm just saying like um, 2020 it's a matter of like how big is your star because that's going to reach how big of a story it is like harvey weinstein huge fucking story because it touches so many celebrities over so many years i wouldn't necessarily call Harvey Weinstein a celebrity himself. He was. I mean, I, like I knew, let me put it this way. I knew who he was for a long time. You're a cinephile. He was, it's not just that though. Like he was represented in uh, Entourage. He was famously uh, among a lot of people called uh, Harvey Scissorhands. Like if you paid attention to the Oscars at all, even when the Oscars was popular to, to follow a little bit, they talked about how his campaigning completely changed the way the Oscars worked because he was buying like these giant baskets for people and like putting them up in interviews specifically to get Oscar buzz. Like he was a guy who was a known quantity already. Then he's like involved with all of these people who were A-list celebrities or are currently A-list celebrities. So it makes sense that that's like a huge story. I don't know if I can call him a celebrity. I think I can only just call him a powerful person that is known, but I wouldn't call him a celebrity. Okay. Because he's not like going out there promoting himself, going on talk shows and like being interviewed for magazines and like promoting he himself. certainly did interviews for magazines and stuff sure but yeah. not like vogue not like magazines for large it was like movie magazine right and that's what he does though you know yeah you're not going to put him in the category with any movie star he's known for no he's, he's a different he's a different kind of and celebrity. i also think that he was not a household name till he was I, all the I agree with that. Came. I just, I do think there was millions of people who knew oh, who he there was. Were a, that, I guess that's my that's, point. It's just that like those millions of people were a very specific group of people. They were like people yes, that knew agreed. movies. People yeah. that knew movies. It's a niche like, thing. But I would say he's, before he got busted, his name would have been more recognizable than say Josh, what's his name again? <laughs> 
Oh, Joshua Hum. Yeah. Like, oh, I, yeah. I no. even listened to him. I can't even remember his name right now. You yeah. Know, that's I, all that I'm he's saying. He's definitely, especially, it's hard to gauge because he's definitely more well-known now. Yeah. But I mean, like, but I'm I think trying to more think people back, know. Like five years ago, it, you know. Right. I don't think I can put myself in a five years ago headspace to, like, evaluate how many people I think knew who. I mean, like. It's hard for me to, I guess, because I didn't I've know known. Who I've known Epstein who Epstein was either, you know. I did not either. Who knew but that guy was? I, kn- I knew who and Weinstein was. now he's on was. everybody's lips. I knew who Weinstein was, at least from the 90s, like, for sure. And he, his name was attached to so many huge movies. You just saw like in one of the first credits in all of these big movies I mean like it's funny though because like okay so you'll you'd see his name at the beginning of countless movies for decades the Weinstein company right well even before but it that never Miramax, occurred right? like, to me it never occurred to me that there was a Harvey Weinstein that was the name behind Weinstein company that's just the name of a company to me like it doesn't mean anything like I would have been equally surprised to learn that there was like a Jeffrey Lionsgate <laughs> yeah like Ted Sony it's probably a Japanese name. Army if it Hammer. Is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good That's one. That's still like the most unhinged naming convention but I've ever heard. I, I What's will the name say of like... our corporation? Let's name our kid after that corporation. <laughs> yeah. What? But I will say, like, Harvey Weinstein was a known quantity when he was at Miramax for sure. So when he bounces over to Weinstein company, there is people who know who that is. They, it's like Bob Weinstein is the one. A lot of people don't know exists. Harvey guess, was very big and very brash and very loud. And so many creatives, if you listen to him at all, were constantly talking about him good or ill. Yeah. Mostly ill. Mostly but ill, like, but there was good. some good. Yeah. And like, uh, I think the most notable thing before all the allegations came out officially, the most, most notable thing I can think of with Harvey Weinstein was that throwaway line that uh, Courtney Love said at the on the red carpet at some MTV Music Awards where they were like, you got any advice for people? And she's like, Harvey Weinstein invites you up to his hotel room. Say no. So and you, that was in you like remember, the, you remember that or was that I something you saw remember a clip it of? Because I don't remember I don't that remember it from the when it happened, but I've seen that clip a lot. And yeah. I, I saw that clip multiple times before. It all came out. Like, I was aware of Harvey Weinstein as, as an abuser before the official thing went But down. not, I didn't know him as a sexual abuser. I knew him as somebody who pushed around people and screamed a lot and used his physical presence to intimidate people. Yeah. Like, I, I heard stories about that. One last point. Before any of this came out, Tropic Thunder, Tom Cruise is playing Harvey Weinstein right. in that. And I mean, obviously, he's playing a little bite-sized Harvey Weinstein, and but all, he's playing Harvey Weinstein. And also, you wouldn't, if you didn't know who Harvey Weinstein was, you wouldn't know that that was right. an impression but of him. But I even knew what he looked like, so it was like, I saw Tom Cruise doing that, and I was like, I know exactly who he's doing. that. And I, I will admit, most, the common person does not, did not know who he was. I, I knew, but I'd seen his picture a lot. I'd heard him talked about a lot. Anyways, that guy sucks. Moving yeah, on. He, he's fucking horrible. Uh, but Peacemaker... <laughs> So uh, <laughs> you know, you know what we got we got off because we we're going to talk about the dude bros around Zack Snyder. The criticism that you them? were you were talking oh, about, yeah. Here's was the one Justice of my favorite thing. Right? Here's my favorite thing. I saw a fucking tweet that said it was it was the classic meme format expectations 
versus reality, where the expectation is the picture that you want, you were expecting to see. Reality is the picture that you actually got. This person tweeted a picture under expectations of all seven Justice League members being silhouetted. And then the reality was that we got four. As though we knew that the Justice League was going to show up in the final episode. My expectation expectation, was no crossover except for maybe Amanda Waller, which we did get a very quick clip of. I didn't expect it, but I thought it would be weird if Amanda Waller didn't at least make one cameo in this at movie. The, I mean, yeah. she was on the phone at the beginning and we heard her voice and we saw her face at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then about halfway through, she has a phone call. Her do- uh, Adebayo, I don't think we he- hear her. I thought Adebayo talked to her Yeah, I think we hear her talking. Through. And then we see her on, lo- watching the TV as Adebayo is outing Task Force X and just going, what the fuck? <laughs> My daughter just sold me up the fucking river. What the? <laughs> Which, oh man, that also, when at the end of the movie, when he says, don't say anything to V, but after Eagly, you're my BFF to Autobio, and she like does a little chest bump thing, tap with her fist. That got me. That moment of like friendship between them like they had their ups and downs it's so funny when they say the real journey was the friends we made along the way and that is kind of absolutely true for this show and i will say it's at least earned too because peacemaker's really upset at her because he kind of frames him with a diary in the public that her mom had her place but he's able to forgive it and i think it's very pointed because he's calling steve ag's character dye beard all the time and making jokes about his dyed beard and then at like one, bullying him yeah clearly it's bullying yeah it's and then straight it, up not cool what and, he's doing <laughs> and then towards the end he's like being talked to by another one of the butterflies which are these aliens that take over their mm-hmm. body so that and they very know everything much. the person knows and so he's like being honest so that the person doesn't pick up that he's lying and and talks about how this other human saw the dye beard and he didn't think anybody noticed because he didn't have time and blah, blah, blah. But then, like, it became apparent to him because this guy just wouldn't shut up about it and <laughs> kept making him feel horrible about it. And John Cena's listening in on an earpiece. And yeah. so you see on his face, he feels horrible. So in that moment, he has to forgive her. You know what I mean? Like, yep. he has to because he's facing the reality that he has also done very toxic stuff. Yep. And yet he's, he's still being embraced by this guy who like he's just endlessly bullied throughout the series everybody on that show had a pretty <laughs> solid arc with possibly the exception of vigilante because his character is he even has one too though because when he's in prison he's excited to go into prison and do all this stuff and then he feels horrible because when he picks the fight with the white supremacist dad he realizes he made it worse and he actually feels remorse in that moment so we know he's not a straight psychopath like he feels some remorse because he loves peacemaker he doesn't well, want to upset peacemaker he, he still feels things he doesn't feel things about people he doesn't feel morality. Yeah. <laughs> well, or he's got morality, he's but got it's his very own, twisted. He's got his own sense. His his it's off center. <laughs> he's like but lawful like, neutral. <laughs> I was actually I read an I read a tweet yesterday that kind of bothered me a little bit because somebody was saying like my favorite thing about vigilante is that he's coded autistic my least favorite thing about the character is that he doesn't have an art and i was like are you conflating autism with sociopathy (laughs) like sociopathy because like uh i don't know if that character is supposed to be autistic
autistic. I worked with a lot of autistic people. He did not strike me as autistic at he all. He didn't like, strike me as autistic Now they say either, coded as are... autistic and there might be something to that because Hollywood misrepresents this stuff all well, the time. This was so a they... person saying it as a positive. Like they were like, this character was coded as autistic and I liked that. And as I'm reading that, I'm thinking you saw a character who murders graffiti artists with the same amount of as he mur would kill a murderer like he equates a graffiti artist with rapist and murder and would kill all three of them and you think that's a good representation of autism because <laughs> i don't think that would be if this character is coded as autism that's bad for autism yeah, you know what i mean i don't think it seems really but let's be bad honest, dc's autism. done that in the past because i'm i'm just gonna say it i feel this 100 percent. i felt it at the time this is not being cheeky so just to get this out there this is not making a joke i do feel like lex luther in Zack snyder's movies is coded as being autistic okay i could see that is that the reality of autism no but he's coded as far as hollywood's concerned yeah as being well autistic. and i think that that was part of what this person was getting at was they were saying like this is a depiction of autism that is not a stereotypical depiction of autism where they're like doing stuff with their fingers and never making eye contact with anybody like there's a very specific trope of portraying autism on television yeah like there was i remember there was a sci-fi tv show called alphas that was on sci-fi that was very much like let's do our own version of x-men and part of what this show was doing was trying to give people superpowers that were grounded in biology there was a guy who could become super strong but not because of anything supernatural like he literally had control over his fight or flight reflex which can cause a burst of adrenaline and so he could like basically work himself up into a fight or flight response and become faster and stronger but he also couldn't do it for very long or his fucking heart would give out because your human body can't take that kind of high adrenaline constant thing right yeah so there were downsides to everyone's powers because they were restricted by human biology to a certain extent obviously it's a fictional tv show uh one of the characters on the show was autistic and they like didn't just code him as autistic they straight up said he's uh, this is this guy's autistic but his superpower was basically that he could see electromagnetic signals or some shit which meant that he could like see television signals and radio signals in the air and like a lot of the autistic stuff that he was displaying was him like sifting through the the airwaves and the signals in the airwaves right in the air and uh he basically had every single stereotypical autistic quality that that hollywood thinks is like this is what an autistic person is and uh it was unpleasant like they're always rude blunt don't know how to say things that aren't in a way that's not incredibly offensive to a quote-unquote regular person it's like basically the most difficult aspects because like Every human being has things about them that are easy to de deal with, and there are things about them that are difficult to deal with. And there are certain things that, that can be difficult to deal with, like trying to touch somebody on just giving them a light touch on the shoulder, and they literally start like withdrawing and shrieking. Yeah. You know, like that kind of extreme example, but for some reason is like also the most, it's, it's not just the most extreme example of autism, but it's also the most commonly... <laughs> 
<laughs> displayed one in televisions and movies. Well, and part of that is because it's show, don't tell, right? Like anything that really reads on the screen, they're going to go with. Like even, okay, so this is shifting gears, but you see this with TV actors a lot who can't quite break out into movies. A lot of the time it's because they're TV acting, which is showing a lot of emotion. And in the movies, a lot of the time it's not about showing a lot of emotion. It's about showing subtle parts of emotion like jennifer aniston is a perfect example of this like very successful on friends and became this big celebrity because of friends but every time she tries to do a movie it never really blows up super huge and part of it is because her style of acting just doesn't necessarily lend itself to oh, movies mon oh why why oh, oh right oh, eh, oh. Like, yeah, like everybody in Friends is just like Mom. super emotive with everything Mom. they do. Like Mom. Ross, you see him from 700 yards out, you know that he's depressed. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, uh, I went on YouTube just the other day and I was trying to find a super cut of all the times that Jennifer Aniston calls Monica Mon on Friends. Like, Mon, Mon. Couldn't find it. <laughs> somebody so, get on that. Somebody get on that. Make me a super cut of. Come on, man. There's Jennifer only Aniston like 200 and something episodes. And what? And then if there's like one in there where she's doing a Jamaican thing and she's going, hey, mon, like just put that in there, too. That'll just, be the kicker. That'll yeah. end it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to wrap up your thoughts on Peacemaker? Yeah. So definitely watch the show. Uh, don't skip the title sequence. You can get through it eight times or more if you decide to rewatch episodes. I did it four times. <laughs> I, I never felt the urge to skip through it. It was always good because every time I like every time I would watch it, I would focus on a different little section of it the show would come out on thursdays but then on saturdays on twitter they would do a live watch the entire cast and was like would be live tweeting about it like i learned things like uh the actress that played detective song uh she's the one that goff went into after he they killed the senator that he was inside james gunn was like she of all the people that were involved in this she picked up on the choreography the fastest and her section was the most technically complicated. So then I'm watching the title sequence the next week and I'm like specifically keyed in on her section because I'm curious. Like You're breaking this down like the Zupruder film. Back into the well, left. Just, back into the, the left. The thing though <laughs> is that I have this urge to learn the moves. You know, like I haven't put any effort towards that in my life, but I do. I watch that title sequence and I'm like, I want to learn how to do this dance. It's so bizarre. He put in an intentional effort, James Gunn did, to make an unskippable title sequence. And yet and I skipped it four a, times. For a lot of people, <laughs> for a lot of people on on the internet, at least, that spoke up, uh, he was successful. He was successful. I, just to be clear, I think it's a fun sequence. I like watching it. It often... The dude, this song last, is you know, catchy you know, as fuck, You know dude. this, dude. These last couple of months, I have been fucking busy as yeah, shit. You've been it's, busy. it's hard to justify every 45 seconds sometimes. But like Wigwam? But I, I do really like the opening sequence. I love that it's I love a, Eagly ending with his wings like extended like yep oh so uh guess guess how many times there was a real eagle and how many times it was a cgi eagle i'm gonna say there was never a real eagle never a real eagle. yeah it's never looked Not real to me time. and i don't care i just enjoy I it i thought it looked fantastic for being a completely fake eagle 
Yeah. Like, it looks good. Oh, it yeah. It doesn't look real, especially because its tongue is kind of like a dog's tongue a little bit. Like It's too also too emotive. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, Obviously. eagles are yeah. eagles, man. Like, they don't emote like we do, and they find ways <laughs> to make them emote, and that's fine. But. but, you know, okay, let's also compare this, make a quick little comparison. So, we have Peacemaker's got Eagly, which is a literal eagle. In the comic books, Falcon has a real life falcon as a pet named red wing and in the mcu they gave falcon a fucking drone lame dude it's way cooler do you know why is so much cooler than red wing do you know why it's like red wings this dumb little robot and fucking eagly is like straight up pecking people's eyes out and shit do you know why they didn't (laughs) give him an eagle it's just straight up because they haven't they have or a falcon excuse me because they haven't figured out how to cgi birds correctly yet yes they did birds oh well eagly is good and that was for a tv show i'm not saying it's not good bigger the budget i'm not saying it's not good but it fits the it fits the tone of the show too which is like slightly goofy so like you can buy a cgi thing that you know isn't real and it's fine because like it's a comedy but like mcu movies are part comedy but only part comedy they really trade and they want you to believe the thing you're seeing on screen they also like having a cute thing yeah and i would say but they want a cute thing you believe is there like baby groot you believe is there do I believe? Okay, so explain Morris then. <laughs> I mean, I believe From Morris Shang-Chi is, is there. The I know the it's rings. not, but like the way it moves and stuff, I believe it's there. It's just there's something about the motion of birds they haven't quite figured out yet. I believed Eagly was there while I was watching. You just started by saying you didn't believe it was there. No, but... I'm saying that I that it was it was believable. It I I was surprised to learn that a hundred percent of the time it was fake. Oh, I, thought, I was. I thought that there were that was. I'll be honest, when you pose like, when the bird's flying way up in the sky and it's just a little tiny thing when you pose that question I thought it was a trick and there was a real eagle because I <laughs> never I'm not saying it to be cheeky I just like never ever imagined that that was real and I never bought it for a second I didn't care because it was funny and it was fun you know like it so was it, it was fun they also did a good job acting around a thing that wasn't physically there people are getting better and They're better getting about really that. Good at and that, I feel like yeah. James Gunn is probably good at directing that because he's done it a lot now his brother was probably in a green screen suit going, I'm an eagle. You think I'm an he eagle. was eagly? <laughs> you might I mean, be right, he, dude. That's, like that's kind of what that, he does. That was like the way that he was able to sort of like his brother got him a foot in the door, but then he established himself on his own by being like, dude, you don't need Andy Circus. I can do that too. It's not only Andy Circus that can be in a green screen suit. You want a fucking goofy weasel guy? I'm your man. My mind always goes back Doug Jones to too, the, I guess. the first podcast I was doing uh, when we we're covering Guardians of the Galaxy. I was talking about James Gunn's brother, Sean Gunn, and everybody started laughing because they thought I made up the name. And I spent like five minutes <laughs> trying to convince everybody this is a real guy. Yeah. And they're like, sure, but he just happens to always be CGI'd. And then I found out that he played the, the uh, first mate. And then I was able to point it out. And then by that point, kind of everybody Knew. Everybody got but to it know. does sound like a made-up name, Sean Gunn. It just sounds like you made it up. You know what I well, mean? it doesn't. It doesn't hurt that there is a famous fictional character named Peter Gunn. Yeah, <laughs> who's like. Doo, 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 yeah. Doo, doo, doo. 
Henry Mancini. That's yeah, Henry great Mancini. Great song, dude. That guy is a hell of a composer, and he clearly loves trombones because he throws in those. Yeah, that was also a big part of my childhood because the movie theater I used to go to on Coos Bay, Oregon, had this game Spy Hunter inside it, and we would always it had that theme. Yeah, yeah, the nice. entire game it just played over and over again <laughs> on a loop. So like, it took me a long time to find out that was a theme song for a '60s show. I didn't yeah. know. Like, I oh, just for sure. thought it was from, from Spy that was, Hunter. That has been reappropriated a billion times. Oh, it's in Wayne's World. Yeah. Right? Henry Mancini, too. Like, uh, I got to know him because one of my best friends in high school, Adam, uh, he played trombone in high school and in college. Oh, dude, and and Henry Mancini is all about you're trombone, a, Yeah, dude. if you're a trombone player, you're like, Henry Mancini's my favorite because I actually get to have fun with this instrument that has this very specific... It's got a slide. There are not ma- very many other instruments that use a slide. Yeah. They're all valves and buttons and shit, but this is a slide so it has this quality that is doesn't exist in the other horn instruments and why would you put a trombone into your song and not utilize the unique ability that it has and i think that was henry mancini's whole thing is like i'm gonna fucking use this instrument to the its fullest capability because <laughs> because he's a badass what's happening he did what's happening theme song which is like a super upbeat song so of course when i was in college i had to put it to a montage of people crying <laughs> that was fun. that is the most carl thing you've ever carl dude yeah intro to macintosh that was a class i was taking and one of our assignments was to take a, a photo album and then put it to a song because that was a op- like a thing you could just do on any Mac at the time. Like it just came built into the since since Macs have like the Mac OS has its own uh, apps for everything that just come with the computer as opposed to like only having an operating system and, you know, having like cheap versions, you know, like there's Microsoft Word. Right. And then there's like Notepad. What comes on a Windows is Notepad and you have to fucking pay for Microsoft Word on Apple like whatever the Apple document app is just like the full thing. It's just like it comes with it. It's got everything you would want from the paid version. But that's why an Apple computer costs like six times as much as a PC because it has all this proprietary preloaded shit on It's also funny it. though because I remember getting pissed about having I, like I used the same version of Office for like 15 years. And then Amanda was doing a class online and she had to have the new office or it just would not post like we could yep. not post it in that and so i was just about to buy it and somebody was like dude open office and i was like what And they're like yeah open office you could do it with that so we downloaded open office for free because it's open source yep. and it was able to post and we saved ourselves like 200 dollars or whatever the fuck it was yeah. so yeah all that stuff's there but you just have to know to look for it which yep. makes it inconvenient but right at least but then there. with mac it's just you just get it. So yeah. it's simpler. It's not necessarily it's better. It's more expensive, but it's simpler. It's not. It's more user-friendly, and it's more like, here's everything you need right out of the box. Where with PC, it's, I'm not building a computer I, I'm from not gonna, scratch. I'm also not going to build a case for, like, PC or Yeah, we or don't Mac. care. I really don't care. I use PC, but it's because at some point in high school, I got a PC, and it's just, I've always taken software from PC, so it's just easier at this point to yeah. not, to not yeah. go backwards. But I I don't care. People do what they want. I know Max better for music is everything I've heard. So, okay. Peace out. 
please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Follow us on Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs, Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs, or email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. A podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions, too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void.